All right. Now, doesn't that feel so much better? Well, we are, a, we are a family here. We are a spiritual family here, amen? And so it's good to give hugs, greet one another, and uh, just encourage one another. Uh, my name is Larry Wong. I am a practicing licensed uh, marriage and family therapist. And uh, my wife is here, as she has been the last couple of times as well, and my daughter is here again as well. Um, I want to thank um, Edgar and Don uh, for, for inviting me down, and this is the third part, sort of the, the sequel to the sequel. All right, so thank you. So that tells me you've liked the first two, but I, I really appreciate Edgar and Don inviting me. I uh, appreciate you guys welcoming me as well. I feel so loved by this family. Uh, I also want to uh, introduce a couple of people that are here that are related to us, and they, they are going to hate me for this, but uh, uh, my wife's uh, uncle's family lives here in Cerritos in the area, so I thought I'd introduce a couple of family members. So uh, Grace's uncle Sherman Lee is here, and his daughter, who is Grace's cousin, uh, Lucia Hu, and her son Noah is here as well. So if you didn't get to meet them uh, afterwards, certainly overwhelm them. Um, you know, tell them your name so they have to remember it and, you know, just make them really stressed out. That, that would be awesome. Because that's what, sometimes that's what family is, right? We kind of stress each other out a little bit. Um, unless, unless, maybe it's just my family. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's just unique to me. No? Okay, Kelly's shaking her head, thank God. Uh, Cynthia, sometimes it's like that in your family too? Okay, all right. So I'm not alone. Thank God I'm not alone. So, um, ironically, today's message is called Becoming a Spiritual Family. Now, if you looked at the outline I gave for the three parts, you'll notice that, hey, Larry, you changed the name of it. And uh, that's okay. The content's pretty much the same, but I felt like the name of it had to match a little bit more of what I'm going to talk to you about today. So hopefully that's okay with you. Um, as we talk about this topic, becoming a spiritual family, I will tell you that it overlaps a bit with a couple of the other, the first two messages that I gave and I hope that makes sense. You know, we talked about um, spiritual salvation means healing, overcoming our deeper wounds. And that's just talking about our own lives, growing up, and that even as adults, sometimes the things we deal with are the things that really affected us, really impacted us, the wounds of our life growing up. And the second message was spiritual growth, not just change. And that was really more about just, hey, what's below the surface for us? Are those the things in our character that spiritually we are growing in, that we're dealing with? Amen? You guys all remember the iceberg, right? My daughter was the one that introduced me to the idea of the iceberg, so I want to give credit where credit's due. Um, and so today, as we talk about becoming a spiritual family... You know, it is about parenting in many ways. There will be some things I talk about today that are specific to parenting, parenting with our young kids, even parenting with our older kids. But if you're not a parent, um, you've been a child, right? So 
you have relationships, right? So I think some of this will apply to you as well. Um, you know, maybe, maybe it is like Avery, maybe it's too late, I don't know. But uh, I don't think so. So please glean from it what will help you. How about that? All right. So here are the two points for today on becoming a spiritual family. So point number one is there is no place like home. Oh, boy, there's a nervous laugh right there. Yeah, and we'll get into some of that because when you think of no place like home, sometimes it's awesome. And then some of those memories, not so much. Right on cue there. And then the second point is, it takes a village. And that's going to be more about our spiritual community, our church community. Because we're talking about the idea of how do we become a spiritual family. And I think an important thing to note here is, even in that title, for me, it's really important that it's becoming It's not like run down to the local Target and buy being a family. You know, I wish it was just on sale. I wish it was just like right on the shelf and I could just bring it home. But you know, it's about becoming. It's a process. And I think sometimes what our frustrations, what our discouragements can be about is, dang it, can we just fast forward to the it's happened already part, and uh, it just doesn't work like that. But hang with me. I think you'll be encouraged. I th- my hope and my prayer is that you'll be inspired. All right? So our first point, there's no place like home. So what do I mean by that? Let me start with this. We'll read this scripture. It says here in first, or I'm sorry, it says here in Ephesians chapter 2, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of the household, his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as as the chief cornerstone. So God says we are no longer foreigners or aliens, but in actuality, we are part of his household. So God actually made it so that we are not just in the family of God, but that we are in households. So if you look at this diagram that I made, uh, these are the kind of what I thought of as the different households represented in church. Do you see that? So there's marrieds, and then you have kids, then you're part of this other ministry, brilliantly called Marrieds with Kids. Uh, there's single parents, and they have their households, campuses, you know, there's households that they have in the singles, etc., etc. Make sense? So sometimes when we think of our church, we think of the whole church, like getting together like this on Sunday, you know, for a couple of hours, and it's great. It's fellowship. It's encouragement. We give hugs. Everybody like hugs? Okay, some of us may not like hugs. Maybe it's too touchy-feely for us. But sometimes we, we think of church and it's our midweek services. Another couple of hours, right? Middle of the week, get together, learn a great lesson from the Bible, and then off we go. And maybe we have small group activities. And those are awesome. Maybe those are potlucks, movie nights, 
hanging out like that. Amen? But the reality is, all of that is not what makes up our lives. Right? So if you look at the pie, that represents 24 hours a day, seven days a week. How many hours is that? Anybody? Mumble, mumble, mumble. All right. 160, wow, okay, 168. That's 168 hours in a week. So that little pie wedge in yellow represents the time we spend together as a church body. Believe it or not. So if you throw in a couple hours for Sunday, a couple hours for midweek, maybe a couple of hours for a small group activity, and then you, maybe you throw in a commuting time. So that yellow pie wedge is 10 hours total. 10 hours in 168. Anybody know that percentage? It's about 6%. So 6% of your time spiritually is spent in this kind of setting. The rest of the time is where? Okay, it's at work, but but I mean, as far as day-to-day, you're in your own household. So that's why there's no place like home. Do you, now do you see where that title came from? So, so a lot of our time here is impactful. We come here to church, and we have a great time. We feel encouraged. But I want us to think about the majority of our time, 158 of those hours in a week, are actually spent in our household, is spent at home. So the question becomes, hey, what's church like at home? Okay, because that's what it says in the highlights, right? We're part of God's household, but we live in households. And so our Christianity, could it be, could it be that our Christianity here at church might be different than our Christianity at home. Okay, so that's what that's why there's no place like home. Make sense? All right. So the first point in there's no place like home is it starts with us. So if we're talking about parenting, what I mean by that is hey, couple of parents, couple of kids, it starts with us, the parents, as far as what's important about being at home spiritually. What's this a picture of? Anybody? Yes, that's exactly right. There is a prize for you afterwards for getting it right. So the point here is that they always do this at the beginning of a flight, right? So it says, in case of an emergency, oxygen mask will drop down. And what does it say? It says, put the mask on yourself first before you help your kids. Wow, what a, Larry, what a great parenting analogy. <laughs> Credit for that one goes to my wife. So I'm really here just as a, a, a vessel for everybody's uh, input in my life. Is that many times as parents, we want to jump in there and help our kids and and, you know, inspire them, challenge them, correct them, raise them. 
but have you put the oxygen mask on you first? Because if you want to help them, you won't be any good if you aren't working on yourself. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. All right, so here is, here's the thought I have on that point is parenting is less about what you do and more about who you are. Because we're talking about at home, right? So there's not brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so when we come to church. But hey, how are you doing? And you remember the iceberg from last time? So what I mean by how are you doing is, hey, we all see when we come to church the above the surface stuff. Oh, they're here. They're obeying God. But how are we doing on the below the surface stuff? Are we working on our character? Are we dealing with those past wounds? You know, I wish, when, I, when my kids were young, and I was dealing with their situations, and I, I always feel like when you have kids, you revisit your own childhood. And I feel like, this is a thought I had when my kids were young, when I was dealing with kind of the yucky stuff of raising my kids, is I, would, I thought to myself, hey, can we just fast forward? You know, like watching a movie and you go, oh, can we fast forward through these parts? Yeah, sometimes I wish I could fast forward through the below the surface stuff. But you know, when you're at home and when your kids are at home and the kids can nod if they feel like it, is they see kind of the below the surface stuff of mom and dad. You know, they, if, you, if you're um, brave enough, maybe that's the word, if you're humble enough, you could even check that out with your kids. I think I told this uh, at one of the other two messages I gave. I was in the kitchen uh, cooking, but feeling a lot of different things. And my daughter comes in and says to me, are you mad? And I was like, no. I mean, yes. Ugh. You know, it was... I don't remember all the details, but it was kind of a tough day, and I was kind of, some stuff was cooking inside. There's kind of a pressure cooker. Anybody have an Instant Pot? Yeah, I used mine this week, baby back spare ribs. But um, it's like a pressure cooker in there, and my, my daughter could tell. And so are you aware that our, your kids, and if you're in a household, and you're, maybe you have roommates, they can tell there's below-the-surface stuff going on. But are you dealing with it? Are you in touch with it? Are you working on it? That's the challenge that we have to start with. It starts with us. Amen? So I like to think of it this way. In 1 Corinthians 4, it says, Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers for in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach, every, teach everywhere in every church. So the call, if you're a parent... The call that you have for your kids is to imitate, right? Because I've walked down that road much further than you. I have life experience. But it says here, 
you know, that we have to look at what is our way of life like at home. It's supposed to be our way of life in Christ. You know, the, the, the really amazing thing about this scripture is Paul says, imitate me to the, to the church. And he says, and I will send you Timothy, who will remind you of my way of life in Christ. So the obvious implication there is Paul's life spiritually has, has grown and he's been in a relation with Timothy where if I send you Timothy, you'll be reminded of my way of life. So as parents, we have to look at the inside, the below the surface, our character at home and consider whether or not it's the way of life our kids see as is Christ. And if it's not, are we humble to be able to share this is what we're going through? Because the goal as parents is not to be perfect. So if we're not vulnerable about those things, that actually adds to the pressure our kids feel. So, so, so my, my kids will see that I fall short. But if I'm not dealing with it and if I'm not open with them and humble enough to apologize at times that I blow it, but I just continue to sort of espouse my faith, that leads to some challenges about their faith. Because they're always consi- our kids are always considering our way of life. Amen? So the second point on this is underneath Uh, it starts with us, is the most important parenting relationship at home is your marriage. Now, that might throw you, right? Wait, what are you saying, Larry? It's like my, my most important relationship in my relationship with my kids is my marriage? Yeah, actually it is. Because it relates to this first comment I made, that if things aren't going well in your marriage, guess what? Your kids notice that too. And we have to evaluate for ourselves, is that the relationship that I'm taking care of at home? You know, am I taking my wife on dates? Am I spending one-on-one time? You know, Grace and I have gotten into the practice that every Saturday morning we go to breakfast together. And we go to a place uh, in Pasadena called The Rhine, and it's, it's really basically just a diner. It's a crazy, busy diner. Um, but that's our time every week to reconnect. You know, it's always busy. I, I don't know. Again, maybe it's just me, but do you find that during the week it's like crazy busy? And if, if you're married or if you're in a household or if you're, you know, maybe you're a single parent, it's crazy during the week. And those weekends kind of become like salvation right? Get me to a little slice of heaven here on earth. And for Grace and I, those Saturday morning breakfasts really help us to reconnect. My wife was saying yesterday after we had breakfast, we were driving home and she said, you know, I just love these times together. And we have to take care of our marriage. If, If you're married and you have a family household with kids, you have to take care of that first and most important parenting relationship. And it's your marriage. You know, there, 
I, I won't be able to address every situation, your roommate household, maybe as a single parent, that household. But are there relationships in your life where you can reconnect so that you can get the help you need? Amen? Something to think about. So the second point about there's no place like home is build connections with your kid. Larry, what is, a, what is connection? Well, connection, as it says there, is when the sharing of emotions takes place in both directions of the relationship. So it, it happens with sharing time. It can happen with doing things, but what is connecting? It's sharing of emotions going back and forth in the relationship. So if you could imagine your kids sharing, it's been a hard week, and they cry, and they cry, and cry, and you don't share anything. It makes it tough to connect. It actually might make it scary to connect. If you remember from last time I talked about my relation with my dad, we didn't talk about those tough things or talk about how was your day, what's going on. He had sort of this immigrant agenda. How are your grades? How's school? What happened there with that class? So there's no sharing of how's he doing or asking of how I'm doing. And after a while... I don't, I don't want to share that because that's just, we're not connecting. So you might think of things like with your kids, helping them with their homework. Or, hey, I drive them to school and drop them off. So I call those transactions. You know, there's this sort of purposefulness of getting them from point A to point B but it's not really sharing a connection where there's the back and forth in our emotional relationship. And that can be something if you have roommates too. Are you just roommates? The thing we have in common is that we pay rent together. You know, I remember I moved into a singles household right after I got out of college, and uh, all the guys there, so I was like 22, 23. You know, you know what college is like. You, you move into a household, you are the excited, you know, one step below cheerleader, enthusiastic. And I move in a single household with guys in their late 20s. Uh, one of them was in their late 30s, and one of them was in their early 40s. And, uh, you know, they've kind of lived life a, a little bit. And uh, they start feeling annoyed at me. Because I'm kind of this bouncing, I don't know, energizer bunny, maybe. And there was no real vulnerability in our relationship. And I can tell you, in that singles household, they helped me so much personally. You know, my roommate, who is from Medusa, New York, that's upstate, uh, he was a total New Yorker. I mean, you didn't have to figure him out. He would tell you exactly how he felt. One time he was, sitting, he was sitting in a room, and then I come by to say hi, and, you know, how you doing? And, hey, I want to get closer as our, as our friendship. And, and he says to me, brother, the only thing we have in common is Jesus is Lord. 
You know, it's kind of that, you know, so spiritually minded, no earthly good. You ever heard that? Okay. Well, I heard that. And we had to work on our connection. We had to work on being vulnerable. That's what sharing emotional back and forth is about, is being vulnerable. That's that last point. Are you real? You know, and and that college kid had to really get his eyes open. I mean, there are other good things that came out of that, too, as far as, you know, they were, uh, one of the guys, Ken Hayes, he was in my wedding, uh, he taught me how to cook. <laughs> I mean, I remember picking up this utensil in the kitchen, and I had no idea what that thing was. And he was like, dude, that's a potato masher. <laughs> and I was like, they have Things like potato mashers. <laughs> yeah, you know, so there's, you know, it can come with spending time, and there is that emotional exchange, but there's just time spent where you can be vulnerable. You get help. You're challenged. You grow. So how do you build connection with your kids? This, this is from a book that I love, love, love. Some of you may have read it. It's called How to Really Love Your Child by Dr. Ross Campbell. He's a professed Christian, and it's a book like about this thick. It takes nothing to read it. It was so popular, he wrote another book called How to Really Love Your Teens. Right? That would be that next stage, right? Children and then teens. Um, Really, that second book builds off of the first one. So these are points he makes about how to connect with your kids. Eye contact. You know, it's funny. We use eye contact in different ways with our kids. Sometimes we even avoid contact with our kids. You ever done that? That's not good. That doesn't build connection. Sometimes we use eye contact to get our point across. Yeah, raised eyebrow. The stare down. Right? Sort of like playing chicken with your eyes. Um, but I love what this scripture says in Mark 10. Jesus looked at him and loved him. How do you connect with your kids? Eye contact. Physical contact. And we're not just talking about hugs and kisses. Obviously, that would be the given. But talking about affection. Um, you know, maybe you come from a family, you know, which I did, where we didn't, we didn't really, physical contact, and maybe that's a cultural thing. Um, I'll never forget, after I became a Christian, I, I, I went to school up at Berkeley. I, I grew up down here in Redonda Beach. But the first time I came home after I became a Christian, I came home, and I just walked up to my dad, and I gave him the biggest hug ever. And it might have been the first hug ever, and he just started crying. So it's not just hugs, but sometimes that kind of physical contact elicits so much emotion. You know, with your kids, it can be sort of the playful kind of physical touch. You know, poking each other, wrestling. Play is a huge part of our relationship with our kids. If there's no play, the impression they have is parent provides, life is a big deal, and it's serious. But if we play, 
It builds a connection. Amen? The last one is one I, I, I you know, the, the first two, eye contact, physical contact, probably takes no effort at all compared to focused attention. So that's like dates with your kids, spending time with them. There's a great story that the author Ross Campbell tells in his book about this. He, he talks about spending time with his daughter, and what he says is he, he would take her to the busiest restaurant that has the longest wait, and even when they finally get seated, he'll wave the waitress off, say, give us a couple more minutes. Why is he doing that? Why? What's that? He's trying to make the most time possible. And then they finally order, they eat, they're talking, and he, he describes that about five minutes from home on the drive home, her, his daughter finally just starts opening up. Whatever it is. It, but for him, that was the ritual, and that was sort of the ritual of when she would open up. Because oftentimes, you know, the, the impact of focused attention is our kids are testing us a lot. You know, we would love for the, you know, wouldn't you love your relationship with your kids to be like you, you kind of flip the switch, they open up, you deal with it, all right, we're done. That's actually called consulting. <laughs> it's not parenting. But our kids see us busy. And so when we spend focused attention time, it tells them there is nothing more important than you. But it's a test in their minds. And you take this example that five minutes before home, the daughter just starts like opening up because it finally feels what? Safe. You know, sometimes it's hard for our kids to open up. It isn't like flipping a switch. But if you don't spend focused attention time, you might get frustrated with them. Because all you see, and all any of us see, is behavior. But there's stuff going on below the surface for them too, right? That's why there's a second book, How to Really Love Your Teens. There's really a lot going on at that age. Oops, went backwards there. So here's how I want you to think about connection. Connection, the idea of sharing emotional exchanges back and forth, is the bridge. So on one side of the bridge, let's say, is me. On the other side of the bridge is my daughter. Connection is the bridge. So what's that mean? Well, if we have a strong connection, that means the bridge is wide. Because as parents, what is it that we want to impart on our kids? Values, sense of right and wrong, how to do things, right? So if we have a strong connection, it's like that bridge is very wide, and so Connection between us allows us to pass those values on to them. 
You could like throw a trailer truck on a bridge when it's that wide. But if the bridge is narrow, if the connection is weak, that's what that would represent, can you imagine trying to drive a trailer truck on that? What would happen? That bridge would collapse in a heartbeat. And sometimes we end up focusing on those values and get this through your head. But do we spend time? Focused attention. Because if we don't, it, those va there's nothing wrong with those values. It's just if there's not a connection, the bridge, the connection will buckle. Because there's too much weight in those values to live up to. So my call to us as parents, my call to us if you're in a relationship household, my call to us in our fellowship is build bridges in your relationship. Build connection. Amen? What prevents us from making connections? First thing I think of is when we make every issue a matter of right and wrong. Did you realize, and you might know this, but did you realize not every issue is about right and wrong? So in the domain, there are, there are four common domains about issues that can come up in our relationship with our kids. There's the domain of morality, which is that idea of right and wrong. There's the domain of um, convention, which is like social norms. There is the domain of uh, personal preference. You know, you like blue, I like red. And then there's prudential issues, which are being prudent. What's safe? Issues of safety. Okay? So I'll give you an example. Um, if I do like wearing flip-flops, versus topsiders, that's a personal preference. That's not an issue of right or wrong. Okay? That might be a shocker to you, but as silly as that example is, sometimes in our relation with our kids, personal preference becomes an issue of right and wrong. Um, maybe it's a cultural, I'll, I'll give you a cultural norm. You know, in in American culture, if you were to burp at a meal, that's pretty rude. In Asian culture, to do that at a meal is actually a compliment of how good the meal is. That's a social norm. Sometimes we make social norms issues of right and wrong. You know, issues of right and wrong are, you know, for us, the assumed standard is the Bible. So if there are issues of if you're sleeping with someone who's not your wife, that's an issue of right and wrong. Everybody gets that, right? Like, you don't need me to review that, right? Okay. All right, just kidding. Um, but sometimes as parents, we make non-moral issues moral issues. And that can keep us from connecting. The second thing I think of is forgetting that we have issues too. <laughs> you know, when you're a parent, sometimes, sometimes you're just sort of tunnel vision. 
All I can think of is what that person is not doing, my child. Well, all they can think of is, wait a second, you're a Christian, right? And sometimes we forget that we have our own issues. This is that overlap with deep wounds below the surface. Everybody gets that? Yeah. Um, so I, I checked with my daughter, Holly, and she was okay with me sharing this. Is Holly, uh, she's 16. Uh, she is in therapy. Um, and uh, she, she has to learn how to cope with anxiety that she goes through. Uh, you know, we all deal with anxiety, but when it gets to a certain point, we call it distress. Good anxiety is called eustress, so it's not you like you, but eustress. Uh, but it's actually the letter U, eustress. It's good anxiety. Like, a deadline is actually good stress, because you, otherwise you'd never get things done. Okay? So, students, even if you hate deadlines, it's actually good. Uh-huh. But she deals with anxiety, and so uh, she goes to her therapy appointments every week, and I go with her and sit in. And oftentimes, the things that we're sorting through, uh, her therapist uh, points out things that I need to work on. And I'm thinking, what? (laughs) She's the client right here. She's the client. (laughs) You know, so being a therapist is kind of like what they say about physician heal thyself, you know. We don't make good clients sometimes, uh, believe it or not. But there are often things I have to work on that she points, her therapist points out. And, you know, some things are just assumptions I make about what, what, what Holly may say to me in a given situation. So I just assume. And so she gives me these tools to help me learn to work on what I need to work on. Sometimes... As the point says, we forget that we have issues too. Amen? The fruit of building connections. I want you to hold on to this because this is the reason for connection. When the need for connection and acceptance is met, the atmosphere in the home or household is better. We are free to be vulnerable and childlike with each other. We're free to be ourselves if we feel like the connection is strong and then the atmosphere is safe. So sometimes you have to ask yourself, what's the temperature in the room? And if we are working on connection, if we are working on our relationship, if we are spending focused attention, this is the fruit. So, you know, with, for Holly and I, a lot of times what we do to spend time she loves the Dodgers. I do, too. And I'm going to assume all of you do. <laughs> Best record in the NL. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Uh, MVP. Can- uh, anyway. Um, but for Father's Day, she, she sends me a text with a link that for Father's Day, there's a game that the Dodgers have. And the really cool thing is after the game, you get to go on the field and play catch. So she sent that to me. And that line after the game felt like we were going to, we might as well buy tickets for tomorrow night's game because we're going to be here all night. That line was huge. But it was really cool because we got on the field, Holly and I, and we just played catch. 
she actually stopped for a second while we were there and she just looked around like this is insane but we have to spend time in order to build connection amen all right it takes a village it takes a village so not only is there no place like home but in order to become a spiritual family it takes a village we can't do it ourselves I can't. So, scriptures about community that God talks about, our relationships with one another. 1 Corinthians 12, equal concern for each other, Romans 12, honoring one another above ourselves, devoted to one another. So, there's research on what kinds of community people are drawn to. The first one is called a value-based community. People are brought together because they have shared values. So an example of that is, I like working in IT. So I interview and I work with this IT company. That's a value-based community. We don't necessarily spend time together outside of that, but we have that in common, and that's my work community, so to speak. Does everybody get the idea of a value-based community? Second type of community that studies show that people are drawn to is a functional community, which is similar in that people are brought together by the same values and people functioning as a community looking out for each other. So when, it, when we say the second point is it takes a village, our families need a functional community. We need to be involved in each other's lives. Because it's really hard to be a parent. I'll just say it. Can I get an amen? amen. It's really hard. I want to hit that fast forward button, remember? Sometimes it's really hard. And we need a community around us. Night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. That's what functional community is about. Now, here's the challenge of maintaining community. So, if you look at our church, if you look at church, churches grow, right? And then we have sort of populations, demographics in the church. We have people who are married, single, etc. Then we have kids, and then we have that ministry. And then we have even more ministries, right? And that's part of this idea, hey, there are many types of ministries in our church, and that scripture teaches that, hey, we are one body, many parts. Everybody get this one, right? Not a revelation. But the challenge in studies about church growth is this idea called church atomization, which is that our church becomes just that particular ministry. And then church, instead of being that community, is a place. And we just go to church. And so we lose the sense of what the Bible calls community or church, being there for one another, equal concern for each other. So 
It's a simple visual, but I want you to think of church as this, is that we are still one church, one body, and it has many parts. And in those many parts, helping each other. You know, in some instances, sometimes that community is having singles in your, in your church, and they can help babysit if you're parents. And then you can go out on a date and have one whole complete conversation without your kids interrupting. Okay, that was, that was funny, but I'll keep my day job. Um, but it's, it's simply the idea, you know, when we were young parents, Grace and I, we would have uh, singles come over to babysit. Uh, some of you probably know Kevin Sewell. He's a really close friend of our family. And when we would ask him to babysit our kids so we can go out, you know what he would do is he would invite a number of other singles over. And then sometimes he would take the kids to hang out at a singles event. And it was like amazing for our kids. It wasn't babysitting. It was like, yeah, you guys go on your date. I mean, there are times they'd ask, when are you guys going to go out again? I felt, it's kind of like, ouch. But that's community, right? And even within our marriage with kids' ministry, we need to help each other. Oftentimes, I'll be overwhelmed by a situation, and I need help. I told the story about grabbing time with Marty and just getting help. But that's what church community needs to be for us. Amen? So let me share about uh, our family. So that's a picture from my son's baptism March 4th, 2015, when he got baptized. That's our family on the right, uh, but that is our church community in that panoramic. That's who showed up for his baptism. And really, it's it's just a visual for us to think about. That's how we ought to be as a church community with one another. Let me share about this too. Um, actually, let me, let me go back. I'll, I'll share about even beyond our family. When we were growing up or raising our kids, you know, there are other families in our lives. Um, I think of Tony and Faye Tan. Anybody know them? Their kids, Brian, Eric, uh, Brian, um, Kevin and Trisha. Um, so they're ahead of us in their parenting. So we, we, we would spend time with them. And then Brian, their oldest, is the one that studied the Bible with Brandon. And then Brian got married, or he was married at that time, and Grace and I spent time helping them with their marriage. And, you know, that's how community works. You know, it's Whatever comes up, we got to help each other. Amen? Another example of that. So on the, on the left is a picture of me at preteen camp with my five kids, my five boys. And they, they dubbed themselves the Fab Five. <laughs> this was their first year of camp. And that picture on the right is that one of those boys' baptism about three or four years later. 
And what's really cool is I was their camp counselor, first time they were at preteen camp, uh, close to their families, obviously. And so Nathaniel is the one with the towel around him on the picture on the right. He got baptized. Uh, Matthew, uh, to his right, got baptized. Uh, Christopher, to Nathaniel's left, got baptized. And then just a couple of months ago, Gabriel, who I've got my right hand on his shoulder, he got baptized. So, so obviously Nolan's feeling like he's an extinct breed here. Um, what's really cool is my son, who's three years older than them, continually maintained a relationship with them as an older brother in the teen ministry with them, constantly spending time. And then the other cool thing is those boys, the Fab Five, have adopted my daughter into the Fab Five. They're the same grade. And they all hung out just yesterday playing volleyball and doing other things and stuff. But it's really about community. It takes a village. It really takes a village. Whether it's parenting or whether it's just in our own relationships and being faithful to God. Amen? So I'm going to show you a video in a second here, and it's from uh, Parenthood. Anybody used to watch Parenthood? Okay. So this is about Victor becoming a Braverman. The family is the Bravermans. And Victor is being adopted into that family, uh, into the couple's family, but then they all go to the adoption. And I want you to watch this having this in mind, is the things we've just talked about community. I want you to envision, can it be like this for us in our church community? So let's watch this, if we can lower the lights. Anybody? Lower the lights. Okay, we'll watch it and listen. Come in. Oh, hi, Your Honor. We have... Uh, hi, we have... Uh, yes, yes, come on in. Braverman. Great. All right, yes, I... There's actually this is salsa. He's a lizard. This will take a while. That's right. a good idea. Just to... Okay, all right. Come on in. Come in, please. Come in. Okay. Close the door. Okay, everyone, please. Hello, everyone, please. All right, welcome. Thank you. All right, uh, so Joel and Julia Graham. Yes. Yeah, hi. That's... So now you understand that by signing this adoption agreement form, you agree to uh, take care of Victor as your own legal child, right? To provide for his health, his welfare, his educational needs. We do. Yes, Your Honor. Okay. Victor, do you understand? Do you agree to this adoption? Yeah. Okay, then. <laughs> All right, well, then, unless anyone has anything to add, I'm ready to make it official. <clears throat> your Honor, yes, if I may. As grandparents, my wife Camille and myself will do the best we can to, uh, to give Victor what we've given our own children, which is our undying love and support. And also, being a baseball aficionado, uh, I would like to teach him the art of fielding the hot grounder. <laughs> okay. But hey, that can wait till later. And, uh, Your Honor, I'm sorry, if, if I may, I'm Adam Braverman. I'm Deacon Camille's oldest son, and I promise to be your uncle. Listen, your, your Aunt Christine and I are no substitute for your stellar parents, but we promise to be there for you no matter what. 
You can always come to me, Victor, if you need help, and I promise I won't rat you out to your mom. I can give you dating advice. Oh, and then I can help repair the terrible damage that her dating what is this? advice does. Okay. I, I, I'm willing to teach you how to ride a motorcycle and play an instrument. Oh, your girl so troubles will vanish immediately <laughs> once you know those two things. Yeah. And you can come to my house anytime. We can play Xbox and you can sleep over and stuff. Now that you're adopted, you can officially hold my lizards. Okay. <laughs> I promise to love you, buddy. Yeah. No matter what. Me too. Okay. Okay. It's quite a family you're coming into. All right, on this day, January 24, 2013, Joel and Julia Graham have officially adopted Victor Graham. You're now legally their child. You have all the rights of any natural child. Okay. I will hereby sign this order confirming the adoption. All right. It takes a village, so let's be that village for our kids. Let's be that village for one another. Thank you guys for your time. Have a great rest of your Sunday.